Now, if you're reading this week in the, um, the reading uh, chapters we have, you would have come across 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I believe that was this in, the, in this week. Finally, then, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it reads this way. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, which is one of the things on the list. And that's it. He puts nothing else in here. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also, who has also given us his Holy Spirit, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you aspire to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. So First Thessalonians, I think, was last week. And um, you'll notice here that he includes the one thing from the list. And he includes nothing else. He even uses the same wording. What does that tell you that Paul thought about the list? There's only one thing on it. But there's only one thing in Scripture on those particular things that the Scripture commanded. So do be careful. No matter how high up a person is, though they give you a law, it needs to be in the Word of God. And especially when we put that law onto new converts. I hope some of you gave it some thought this week is what kind of laws we would expect. Because obviously we expect some kind of behavior change. And just, you can't go into it, well, just get saved and whatever you want to do is fine. But you can't expect them to be mature Christians. So there is a, you do have to come to some conclusions on it as to what's important. And you may not be able to come with a blanket conclusion that says this is for everybody. You may have to come up with, Lord, what do we do with this one? They're into these things. And God may say, deal with these ones first. And then after that, he may say, all right, help him with this one, and then help him with this one. And uh, we better be okay with that. <laughs> Just listen to God on those things. So let's pick up here where we left off at Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Then after some days, in other words, some days hanging around there, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go now, go back and visit our brethren. Now, when you have a dispute, it usually starts with someone, right? It doesn't, uh, doesn't start with both people usually. It may involve both people, but it usually starts with someone. When we think of the, the split up between Paul and Barnabas, who do we usually think of as started it? Paul. We usually think of Paul as the one who started it. We may change your mind on this. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, so Paul's the one who initiated this, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So this is all he's saying. Let's go back to the cities we were at. We've been here for a while. We were up in Jerusalem. We came back. We've been hanging out here for a while. Let's go on back and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. 
And that little bit of wording right there, was determined, tells you who started this fight. What this means is, it is first off, we are talk, Paul is talking in the present tense. This is in the past tense, which means Barnabas has already contemplated going back and visiting these cities. And in contemplating this, he has already determined to take John Mark with him. He knows he is in for a fight with Paul. And he has determined to take John Mark with him. Now, he's his cousin. And more than likely, he has had some communication. Paul, how much communication do you think he's had with John Mark? None. I would be surprised if we get to heaven and, and Paul says he even thought about him. Let alone talk to him. I don't think there's been anything going on between Paul. Has He's done with that. He's, he left us. We're, <laughs> we're all about the gospel here. And he's, he's off with, with that. But Barnabas, this is his cousin. And he's probably had some kind of communication with John Mark on this matter. And he's talked with him, and John Mark has probably said, you know, I've had some time to think about it, and I've missed it. I, I should have stayed there with you guys. I, have you ever had a, or seen somebody, or maybe yourself, you felt called to the ministry, you jumped in on something, and it was heavier than you thought it would be, and you jumped out. And you want to get back in. And you want to go back in. And, and uh, Barnabas is all about, yeah, I, I know this calls on your life, and I know God wants you to do these things, and I want you to get back in too. But this wording here, was determined. First off, we looked at the fact that it's past tense. You don't need me to tell you any Greek in the matter. You can see, was determined. <laughs> that is past tense. He has already contemplated this. He has already thought about it. But what is really interesting is this word determined. It comes from a Greek word to mean consult, take counsel, determine, be minded, or purpose. Now, to show you how strong of a word this is, I took almost all of the references of this word from the New Testament and, pu and put them into my outline. <laughs> They're not in your outline. If you want to have them, you may write them down. But we're a little tight on space, and I kind of figured we wouldn't have enough room for this. It's not that important that you do it, but if you want to, you can either write them down or come up and get them afterwards. In John chapter 11 and verse 53, Then from that day on, speaking of the Pharisees, they plotted to put him to death. The word plotted is the word determined. When you plot to put someone to death, when you determine to kill someone, are you thinking, you know, if I get the, if I get the opportunity, I think I might kill him. Is that what you're doing? No. When you are determining to kill someone, you are overcoming every moral hindrance in your being, every lawful thing that might try and keep you from it. You have already overcome all that. You are plotting. You are looking for a way. You are filled with rage. You are angry. You are mad. You are not just plotting. You have already overcome many things in your life that might try to keep you from doing it. Premeditated murder. That's what it is. We give you at the highest penalty when it's a premeditated murder over spontaneous. You just got mad at the angry, got angry at the time. But this is plotting. This is premeditated murder. This word is used when people plan to murder someone. <laughs> that is a strong word. All right. It's not just a one-time thing. John chapter 12, verse 10. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because he got raised from the dead, we've got to get rid of this guy. So they plotted to put Lazarus to death. 
Acts chapter 5 and verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. <laughs> they weren't too happy with what was going on with uh, the name of Jesus and so forth. Acts chapter 12 and verse 4. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison. This is speaking about uh, Peter. They arrested Peter and they were going to kill him and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the, peop the, before the people after Passover. Intending there is the same word for determine. He had already made his mind up. We are going to kill this guy. And we're just waiting, waiting for the right time. Acts chapter 15, verse 37, right here is one. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. Therefore, when I, this is used several times here. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? The word there for planning is our word for determined. When you plan to do something, it's not spur of the moment. You take time to figure it all out. You become determined to get that thing done. If you are planning a vacation, you plan on where the money is coming from. You plan on where you're going. You plan on the tickets or the mode of transportation you need. You plan on the hotel accommodations. You plan on whatever you might need, food while you're out there. Who's going? There's a whole lot of plans to go into a vacation. You don't just pick up and say, let's go on vacation today. There's some planning that goes on with it. There's some things to make sure that they're ready. And so he says, therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Well, he's using a word there that says he is not doing it lightly. Or the things I plan, there it is again, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there, is, there should be yes, yes, and no, no. In Acts chapter, well, that was, that's all the references we have for that one. So you just see that this is not a light word. This is a strong word. When it says that Barnabas determined to take John Mark, it's using the same word that it talked about the Pharisees plotting to kill Jesus. Plotting to kill Lazarus. Plotting to kill Peter. The same word is used. So Paul is already dug in for a battle. And all that Paul had to do was mention we're going on this thing, and Paul or Barnabas is ready. We are taking John Mark. No, no, no. He left us behind. Paul's not even thinking about John Mark. He's not even on his mind. He's not ready to pick a fight over John Mark. He's not even thinking about John Mark. But Barnabas is waiting. I just know Paul is going to ask. Well, I know he's thinking about us going back. And when he talks about us going back, I'm telling him, we are taking John Mark. He's going with us. And Barnabas is dug in, determined he is going to take John Mark. Barnabas is more determined to take John Mark than he is to take Paul. And so when Paul says this, he opens up a can of worms and wow, all this stuff comes out of Barnabas. And, and Paul says, uh-uh. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Now, if you were going to have a contention that is listed as being so sharp, how do you think the conversation goes? Well, Barnabas, I think we ought to go back and visit the churches. Well, Paul, if we go back, I'd really like to take John Mark. Well, Barnabas, I really don't want to take John Mark. Well, Paul, if that's how you feel, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll go on my own. Well, if you want to go on your own, I prefer to go with you, but if you want to go on your own, that's okay. You just go. Is that how it goes? No. No, <laughs> no there's some shouting involved. There's some uh, feelings that are being expressed. There are some, some passion 
that's going on. These, uh, these guys feel really strong about their position. Paul feels strong about his position. He never even thought he'd have to defend this. This snuck up on him. But Barnabas is ready, and he's dug in. He's got scriptures. He's got stuff to throw back, and he's ready. <laughs> we need to take John Mark with us. And Paul doesn't even know where this comes from. And he, he's just, no, no, we, we can't do that. The, the work is too important. He hindered us getting done all the things we could have gotten done. If we had had him, we got more done. We're not going through that again. Because it's going to be worse this time. We went out there, and once they saw we're bringing the gospel, we got all kinds of attention. Now they know we're coming. We're going to have all kinds of attention. John's not going to be ready for this. And uh, quite a uh, sharp contention that says, came up so much so that they parted. How do you think they parted? You know what? Let's just agree to disagree. No, they did not part well. They, they were real good buds, but uh, they, uh, they went away and were glad that they aren't seeing each other probably at that point. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. That is the first place, if you can call up our map or get that ready to put it up there as soon as, as, soon as you have it ready. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Now Barnabas is from Cyprus. It's his hometown, his home area. And so you see where that blue line is. I don't have a pointer. Do we have any kind of a pointer back there? I meant to try and find that. See if that uh, remote control has a pointer on it. I think that uh, the one that's right up, yeah, I think that one did have it. But if you see where that blue line is, that's where the cypress is. So that's the direction that Barnabas is going to take. And he's going to go in that, uh, that kind of direction. If you see the purple line up over here, this is where Paul is going to go. The... The uh, yellow, well, the, the blue line, right, they're going around here to the Cyprus, up into Pamphylia, and up, that is, uh, and then it comes back, again, yellow. That is the first missionary journey. The blue line is going out, and then the yellow line is coming back. They just, they uh, go past Cyprus. They don't go to Cyprus on the way back. But they go through Cyprus on the way there, and they're coming back. They hit all the same cities, and then they skip that, uh, that spot. But then the purple line is Paul's missionary journey, the second one. We don't have Barnabas's on here. He goes to Cyprus and he probably does some other things. Uh, he probably goes over into, he might even go on up in here because Paul does not cover uh, Perga and that area on his uh, next trip or that, that uh, region. And so it may be that Barnabas, thank you. It may be that Barnabas had gone and taken that part of it as well. Uh, not exactly sure. So anyway. This, uh, this line right here, this is where he's going. And we're going to keep that up on the map for a little while because I want you to see all the different places. As you see some of these things in scriptures, I want you to have the picture of it as you are seeing some of the things that are being said. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commanded by the brethren to the grace of God. How long has Paul known Silas? It's been a real short while. He went down to Jerusalem. They'd had the conference. Silas was sent back up. They made the trip from Jerusalem up to Antioch together. They were at Antioch together, and they probably got to know each other pretty well. And Paul probably realized this guy is a kindred spirit. He is tough. He can handle stuff. Uh, if, and he might even think, you know what, I would like to go out on a trip with, with Silas. He may have been thinking Paul, Barnabas, and Silas. He may have been thinking that. And when Barnabas went, he just said, well, Paul and Silas. <laughs> We'll go that way. I don't know. You have to wait till you get to heaven, I guess, to find that out. But anyway, 
he uh, he made that decision pretty quick. It didn't take him a whole lot, a lot of time. They split up. Paul grabbed Silas, and they departed, and they, uh, they went up over here. Now, the purpose of this trip was to encourage the people in the cities where they were at. So we have uh, going from Antioch, and uh, uh, Jerusalem, of course, is down over here. That's the trip they would have made in, in that. Uh, he's going through Cilicia. And he's going up here into the region of Galatia. And here they're going to encourage the cities that they were at. We don't get a whole lot of stories on this second trip into these cities. But this is the area where they had gone to. And then they were looking for more. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so Syria is up over in here. Cilicia is up over here. And then we got the area of uh, Derby in, in Galatia. And they're going to have these... These coming up as well. In verse 1 of chapter 16, then he came to Derby and Lystra. So again, Derby right there, Lystra right here. Came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. So he made a note for that in the bulletin that uh, this is where the person that uh, Tony Cook is looking for. Paul found him right there. He's in search of Timothy. Paul found him right over in this area, and he found Timothy, and he saw something good in Timothy, so he brought him along to mentor him up. And of course, we know what Timothy became. Um, quite, a, quite a good guy, and Timothy will eventually come, and he will be the pastor over the city of, remember? Ephesus, right over here. All right. If you're um, not here and present, don't have this map up in the screen. Can't help you. I don't know what we can do. Maybe somehow we can find a way to put this up on the Internet, but whatever it might be, we'll, we'll see what we can do on that one. But Timothy comes along, and the son of a, of a Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. So there's a mixed marriage, and more than likely, uh, well, he, he was certainly God-fearing. Whether his father was a, a Greek but became God-fearing, I would assume that from the type of man that Timothy was. But anyway, we'll go on. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So if he was a believer, he uh, didn't go as far as to make him Jewish. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders of Jerusalem. Let me mention we have it. They delivered to the cities they had gone to on the first missionary journey. They do not deliver them to any others. But they were told when they were in the, in, the, in the commission by the apostles that were there, and they, uh, they said they would, and they took it to the cities that were there. And that was it. They didn't take it to any other place, and Paul doesn't write about them, but it does mention that that, that was done. So I assume that, that means Barnabas took them down over here to Cyprus, and Paul took them over here to these, these regions over here. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. That was their purpose, was to go in the strength of them. Now they have finished the first missionary journey. Verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So you've read this many times, but here's what it is. They're going through Galatia. They went through the rest of the area here. They're coming up through the region of Asia. Coming up through. They're walking through Asia. They're not bypassing it. They are going through Asia. As they're going through Asia, the Spirit of God is saying, do not preach the word here. 
Isn't that interesting? It's not, sometimes you read this and you think, all right, they just didn't go to Asia. That is not true. They went through Asia. This is the trip. This is where they're going. But they're not allowed to preach the gospel. They're forbidden to preach the gospel. So they're just walking on through, trying to figure out, all right, what are we supposed to do next? So Paul gets an idea of going to another area. After they had come to Mysia, um, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. That is this region up here. Now, it's not on this map, but Mysia is out in this region over here. And they wanted to go back up into, into this area, but God said, nope. Didn't permit them to go. So they don't even touch that area except for this little tiny bit over here. They're walking through it. I guess they either they assume or they know where the road is or whatever it is. Um, whatever, they're not preaching the gospel here. So they're going from here all the way over to here, and they do nothing. Nobody, No preaching, no stories. They went from Antioch to here, which is about the same distance, and, and did all those cities, and nothing on that next part. That's a lot of walking and nothing that you're doing. So we've got to be thinking, man, why in the world are we even here? We want to strengthen the cities. We're looking for other places to preach the gospel. God's not letting us go and do us. Anybody have, now this is the old map. Anybody have any guess as to what region this is today? Turkey. It's the region of Turkey. They were not allowed to preach the gospel in the region that we call Turkey. Look at what is here. Sardis. Laodicea, Ephesus, he will eventually go there on his way back into, into this, but we're to, he's more in the northern area of Asia Minor. Uh, these are some of the seven churches from, the, from Revelation, and he's not allowed to go here. Now, he's, again, he's mostly in the northern territory. He's not in the, more of the southern area, and he will eventually touch Ephesus. This is all he does in Asia. He touches Ephesus, and then he gets out. But that's it. Now, Ephesus has a great influence on this region, but not so much with Paul. So anyway, they come over here to Troash. So after they had come to Mysia, they had tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troash. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Here is Troash. Here is Macedonia. So they've walked through all this. They come to this port city over here and they get the call in the night. Come to Macedonia. That means we're sailing across a lot of water to go into the next spot. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. I think that's pretty cool. They got the vision. They immediately... Go over to, to Macedonia. It's an immediate thing. We're going, going right away. That's a, that's a good thing. We know, as Brother Higgins often told us, instantly obey the voice of your spirit. So he got that call. He, well, of course, he's been told. He's been walking a long way. We haven't preached the gospel anywhere. Now he's got, oh, here we can go. And he, he wants to go preach the gospel to somebody. So he's, he's going. Come over to Macedonia and help us. So concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them concluding that the Lord, apparently, it wasn't obvious. If it was an obvious conclusion, you wouldn't put that in there. You would just say, the Lord told us to go. He had a vision, come help us. He concluded from that vision that this is what it meant. 
but they don't know for sure. They just have an idea. We had this vision, the man in Macedonia, he's calling to come help us. So they're a little uncertain, but certain enough that they decide to act on it. They jump on a boat. That's going to cost some money. They got two tickets, three tickets, four tickets, whatever number they need for all their team, because they need them, him, Silas, Timothy, whoever else they got along. They got to get tickets for all of them and, and sail on over. And then here's what happens when they get there. Uh, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ride a straight course. Here's the straight course. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you got to go around and all that, but that's, that's apparently what they're feeling that they did. We ride a straight course to uh, Samothrace, and the next day came to Nepalius, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. So once they, they hit all these, these little places in here, they came to Philippi. Their goal was Philippi. So they're going, we're going to Macedonia. Where should we go? Well, the best city, the biggest city, the most influential city, it's Philippi. That's where we should go. Let's go to the Philippi. Let's start it off there. So they head over to Philippi. The Spirit of God did not tell them to go to Philippi. He told them, as they concluded, go to Macedonia, which is this area here. This includes Thessalonica and a, a few of these other cities that you can, you can see in here. But that's all they had. They had to figure out the rest of it. Understand, a lot of times when you're being led by God, you have to make a lot of decisions on your own and just listen to the Spirit. As he's coming up, up along here, his decision was to preach the word in Asia. Until the Spirit of God says no. His decision then was to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of God said, no. Don't, always be listening. Don't be afraid to make decisions, but always be listening. The Spirit of God will come up and say, no, don't do that. Don't do that. He's on a missionary journey. He's on a journey. To, he doesn't have to seek God whether I should preach the gospel or not. I should preach the gospel. Or we're looking for where. Where are we supposed to go? And the Spirit of God is telling him no. So he's uh, staying out of those places. Got the call to go to Macedonia and went over there. And it says we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, so they were in there for a couple of days. What's some days, three days, four days, seven days, eight days, whatever some days are. After those days, they came on the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the, of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. On the first missionary journey, when they came, when Paul and Barnabas came to a city, where did they go? Synagogue. Into the synagogues. And they, they preached there. Now they're no longer going to the synagogue. They're going to the riverside. Apparently, here's Judea. We are pretty far away from home. And there may be some Jews out here, but may not be enough to have built a synagogue. They may not, they may not have one. Maybe why that they aren't, uh, aren't meeting in there. Whatever the reason, they go on down by the riverside. They got some believers. They got some people who believe. And so they, uh, they meet for prayer down by, the, down by the river. And we sat down and spoke to the who? Didn't say people. Folks who came down there to meet were women. And they met with the women that were there. Now, a certain woman, we always know that's a good phrase. She's the one who starts something. A certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. When we went over to the church of Thyatira, remember the uh, purple dye that they had there? 
some people think that her name means she was a woman of uh, the, the region, because the region is named this, the Thyatira is in. So it may be that, it may be that she changed her name, or that they called her Lydia because of the region that she came from. Whatever it was, we know her as Lydia. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us, so she heard the word being, being preached. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So as Paul's speaking, she's receiving this. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now, there's a lot of supposition about Lydia. Where's her husband? The household saved. So isn't there a husband that's involved? You would think that there would be, but he's not mentioned. But she does invite men to come to her house to stay which more than likely indicates that there is a man of the house. Because in those days you wouldn't just invite, and, and Paul would not have stayed at a house without a man there. To It just wouldn't have been anything he would have done. Paul would have said, you know what, I really appreciate the invitation, <laughs> but uh, this is not going to work, and we'll find another accommodation. So more than likely she is married. She does have a husband. Uh, he's not as primarily involved, for some reason not mentioned in here. But her household was baptized. She brought them on home. They probably taught some more. Household got impacted. And he, she says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she pleaded us, or she persuaded us, and so they stayed there. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her master as much profit by fortune-telling. Now there's a certain slave girl. She was a slave girl. She was a girl who uh, was enslaved into this... Uh, activity, uh, possessed with a spirit of divination. The word there for divination is the Greek word that we get the word python from. If I put it in your outline there, the reason we get python from that is the U in the Greek is generally transliterated a Y when it comes over to the English. I can give you a number of words that you would know, that uh, like psychology. Psychology comes from a Greek word with a U. The U is changed to a Y. We have psychology. It's done uh, many times. So it's actually uh, Python. Python is the symbol for, I believe it's Apollos, who came down and defeated a giant python. And so when this python represents Apollos, so she, she is seen as someone who, who practices divination by the spirit of Apollos. And they feel that uh, Apollos or one of his uh, group, people, whatever, is in possession of her. And so it's, um, uh, that's what it, you'll lose that in the English translation, but that's actually what they're, they're speaking about. Uh, the girl followed Paul. Well, the slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Well, this spirit of Apollos was uh, pretty popular there. And having a girl who would prophesy or um, speak things Predict this future by this spirit was pretty popular. It was uh, one that they would sought after. So people would come and they would seek after her and thereby pay them. So they would make a lot of money off of this girl. They don't care about the girl. They care about the money. They want to take care of the girl to do the prophesying so they can get the money. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, I'm going to change this on you. 
These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. I looked in at least six or seven different translations, and every one of them has this wrong. I could not find one that had it right. Look at this part here. Who proclaim to us the way of salvation. That is incorrect. In the Greek, articles are not left out without a reason. If the article is present, it is speaking of a particular thing. If it is missing, it is speaking of a general thing. Very definitive in the Greek with that. I went back to the original Greek manuscripts on this and looked at them to make sure that this was right. The article is not there. It is translated in every one that I could find or every one that I looked in. And I looked in some good ones. I looked in ones that I like a lot. And every single one of them put the article in. She does not say, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim us the way of salvation. What she says is, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us a way of salvation. Is that different? It surely is. would, Would that seem more demonic? A way of salvation rather than the way of salvation? Yeah. That would be more of a demonic thing to confuse the issue. But if you go back to the Greek and you can do it on your own, it is not there. There is no article. It is missing. There was no article for the way. There was no article for the salvation. It is gone. It's just not there. The more correct translation would be a way of salvation. I don't know why all these other translations don't keep putting it in there because it's not. It needs to have the article written out. It's not something that you include in the Word. It is separate from the Word, and it is before the Word to indicate that this is a particular way of salvation. So this is what she's going away. They're they're here to show us a way of salvation. Isn't that what we have in this country? There are many ways to get to heaven. Who says that your way is the right way? You have a way. Someone else has another way. (laughs) That's what we're, we're battling here now. Paul was battling it then. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now this tells us a number of things. First off, is the woman's job to irritate Paul. (laughs) Her job is not to irritate Paul. Her job is to make money for her masters. That's it. So I got to ask this question. Why are the masters letting her follow Paul all these days and not getting her over there where she's supposed to be? What's she supposed to be doing? Making money. She's not making any money following after Paul saying, these men have a way of salvation. There's no money in that. They cannot be happy that she's doing this. So what is doing it? If it's the girl, she's intimidated by the masters. And she'd, if they threatened her, she'd back down. But if it's not the girl, if it's the spirit, and believe me, if she is possessed by a spirit this strong, you know when that spirit takes over. And these guys know when that spirit takes over this girl. And they see it in her eyes. They see it in her actions. Because demon-possessed people, when that spirit comes to, uh, comes to take them over, you, their eyes change. Their voice changes. 
This is weird stuff that goes on. This would probably happen with this woman. And those people, those masters that were there, they probably just standing back, man, we can't do anything. We don't want her here either. Paul, you don't want her here. We don't want her here. We want her out over here making us some money. We're trying to get her away from you, but this thing has got her. And he's, Paul's seeing this. I don't, some people think that all of a sudden it became dawned on Paul that uh, she's demon-possessed. I don't think so, because whatever was evident to the masters to not pull her back into making money, because they want her to make money every day. They want more money. We're not giving her a couple of days off to chase after Paul. She needs to be out there making money. Whatever is keeping them from jumping in on this thing is also indicating to Paul that this is a demon spirit. Got to be. But Paul is not sure what to do with it. You're in a new city. You know, he's asking God, always asking God, God, what am I supposed to do? Am I, am I supposed to go over here to preach? Am I supposed to go over here to preach? God says no. God says no. And he said, am I supposed to cast that out? Am I supposed to do something? Am I supposed to preach to God? He's, he's wondering, what am I supposed to do? He's not getting direction on this. And then all of a sudden, something comes over Paul where he becomes so, there's just this spirit of annoyance that comes over here, and it's from God. Have you ever been super annoyed at somebody that just came over you all of a sudden? Sometimes it's your flesh. Sometimes it can be God. Where you just become so annoyed. that. But here's how you can tell. If you react in the flesh and get mad and say stuff that you shouldn't say, that's your flesh. If you say stuff that you wouldn't know otherwise, then the power of God moves. It's God. <laughs> that's how you can tell. <laughs> it depends on what you say and what happens after. <laughs> that, that'll also tell you a whole lot. That goes on. So um, anyway, she did this for many days. Now, many days, you know, you're taking the nights off. They're they're sleeping. They're going, they're retiring. Paul's got to be going retiring. Say, God, what am I supposed to do with this woman? She keeps following us. She keeps going after us. I don't know what to do. You tell me what it is that we need to do, and we'll do it. And he comes out the next day, and she follows him all day long. And so he's going along here. Not a whole lot's going on. Not a whole lot's happening. All we've got is Lydia and her group. And that's it. A few other people are straggling in. Paul's got to be thinking, man, God, you called me to come into this place. We came to the most prominent town. Did we come to the wrong town? Are we in the right place? What's going on? You know, we concluded that you wanted us to come here. But Paul, greatly annoyed after many days, greatly annoyed. All of a sudden, this is the sudden thing that comes up. He's greatly annoyed. Turned and said to the spirit, he's not talking to the girl. I think that also means more than likely what's coming out of the girl is not the girl. It's this, it's this demon spirit thing. And can you imagine having someone with a demon spirit voice coming out of their body saying these kind of things? That's got to put a damper on the meaning. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out, not immediately, it says, but that very hour, he came out. Now, we don't know if Paul did like Jesus and repeatedly said, come out, come out, or if it was just one time. And then within the hour, that spirit came. We'll have to wait and find out on that one. But when her master saw that the hope of profit was gone, they still have a hope of profit. All right, she's distracted right now. <laughs> she's going after Paul, but, you know, this will pass, and we'll eventually be able to get back and make some money. But now that spirit is gone. And they say, oh, man. I mean, it's not the girl doing it. We know it's the spirit in the girl doing it. Oh, man. And they're not, they're not happy for the girl being set free. They're upset. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas 
and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. What is interesting here, and I didn't get this into the outline. I ran out of time for, for putting it in there. But you see where it says being Jews and being Romans? It's two different words. When it says being Jews, it actually I've, I've been told this. This is how you would translate this. These men existing as Jews. These men existing as Jews. In other words, it's, it's, it's not a great way to be. They're just barely getting along, just existing as Jews. Exceedingly trouble our city. They are putting these men down with these words. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, not existing as Romans, but forever being Romans. To receive or observe. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. So we're making a distinction. Jews and Romans. They see these guys come in and they assume they're Jews. And we are Romans. They are just Jews. But we are Romans. And they're, they're building this up. They're not as good as we are. This is the attitude that they're portraying here. Then the multitude rose up together against them. Against who? Paul and Silas. The multitudes are not hard to sway. Paul's been in this, this road before with uh, Barnabas. You know, one day we're gods, the next day they're, we're stoned and dead. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prisons and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, what they don't know is that they are Romans. It is unlawful to strip a Roman in public. It is unlawful to arrest a Roman without a trial. It is unlawful to put a Roman in prison without a trial. It is unlawful to beat them without a trial. There's a certain amount of honor you have to give because they are Romans. You are a Roman. Uh, you are owned by Rome. The people who are the actual Romans have more rights in the kingdom than you do. You just exist in the kingdom. The Romans own the kingdom. So they've come into this great city of Philippi after this wonderful uh, vision that they concluded. And they get on over there and, they, you know, they get a woman's prayer meeting ministered to and some people saved, a little, a little, little bit of people here and there. Uh, we're walking around. We get a, a demon cast out of a girl. And then the whole city just kind of cuts loose. And they beat them and they throw them in prison and so forth. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Again, there's a, I'm, I tell you, I think God just made the Greek language for the purpose of writing the Bible. The Greek language is just, in, in my estimation, if we were in heaven, I'd almost think we speak Greek, but I think he's got a better language up there than, than that one. 
But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. The word there for praying and singing is in the middle voice. And it tells us a whole lot about this verse. There are several, there are three different voices that you can have in the Greek. The first is the active voice, which means the subject produces the action. The second one is the passive voice, which means the subject receives the action. Jesus was crucified. That is passive. You don't crucify yourself. You receive the crucifixion from other people. There are passive things. There are active things. We've seen this even in the words with doubt, that sometimes the doubt was active, sometimes the doubt was passive. Here, it's in the middle voice. In the middle voice, the subject does the action. In other words, Paul and Silas are doing the action for the benefit of themselves. When something is in the middle voice, you do the action yourself for the benefit of yourself. They are singing and praying for their own benefit. Not the benefit of the people in the prison. Not the benefit of the, of the uh, guards. They are singing and praying for their own benefit. That's why the middle voice is used. Not the active voice, which just says we're doing it. We're doing it for a particular purpose, to benefit ourselves. The words in the Bible, study to show yourself approved, the word there for study is in the middle voice. It is for your benefit. That's what we mean with, with that one. So anyway, we go on. With this, they were singing and praising, or praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So they were loud, loud enough that people could hear, but they're not doing it for the benefit of the prisoners. They're not doing it as they see how happy we are. <laughs> There's nothing like that going on. They're singing for their own benefit. Suddenly, keep that in mind. Praying and singing will be for your own benefit. You can benefit from it. Suddenly, there was a great. In fact, if you're going to benefit from it, apparently out loud does help. <laughs> Just something to keep in mind. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaking and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. Did we ever have an earthquake like this before? Earlier in the book of Acts, when Peter was in prison, and there was an earthquake, and it opened up doors, and uh, I think it was Peter was in, in prison. No, it um, wasn't that. That was the angel came on in and did that one. When the, um, I'm trying to think, what was the, what was the event? Was it, was it the pouring out of the Spirit? There was an event that uh, they had an earthquake. It was a very localized one. We just went over it, and I, I forgot, had it in my head before and just went out of it. But again, it was very localized. It just kind of hit the one building. And here, it's again localized. It's just hitting this one building. It doesn't seem to affect the rest of the city. But it calls it a great earthquake. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened. And everyone's chains were loosed. <laughs> yeah, that's always a good one. We always do... Uh, do you like to see that? I put in your outline this. Always remember, the work of God removes chains. Always keep that in mind. The work of God removes chains. If you want to judge whether something is of God or not, is it putting chains on or is it taking chains off? The move of God removes chains. Sometimes people blame things on God or attribute things to God and they're putting chains on people. Now, the work of God doesn't put chains on people. It removes them. 
And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, because he got a pretty stern warning, you take care of these guys, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm, do yourself no harm, for we were all here. Now there's dark in the prison. The doors may be open, maybe some light comes in, but it's again, it's at midnight. There is no real light outside. How does he know that this guy is going to kill himself? Well, I'm sure you don't pull the sword out and not say anything. He's probably talking about, oh, no, they're all gone. They're going to kill me. He's probably saying stuff like this. So they're hearing this and they hear the sword come out and Paul just says, oh, no, no, don't do it. Don't kill yourself. He probably not to see a thing. So just because you can't see doesn't mean you don't know what's going on. Do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light because it was dark. Ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Because this was, he, I've never seen an earthquake like this. Opens doors, removes chains, walls stay intact. This is pretty incredible. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? What a great, what a great thing. I, I, if you saw this, Doug Jones put this up today. And if uh, you see Doug Jones' page, uh, I put a comment on it for the purpose that other people will be able to see it who don't get to see it, because I figure that's one way we can get you all to check it out. This is what it was. Live in such a way that the unbelieving question their unbelief, not your faith. I put that in your outline. You can see it right there. Live in such a way that the unbelieving question their unbelief, not your faith. Isn't that great? <laughs> that, is, that is outstanding. And this is the example of it. This is right here. I got to tell Brother Doug that uh, that was real timely. We were in, in Acts chapter 16, and that just was dynamite. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Well, of course, the household will be saved if they also believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't, they don't get saved because he does. We all know that. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So they had things that went on there at the prison. He says, look, come on over to my house. <clears throat> this was pretty remarkable that we went on. And even though I fear the people that I'm employed by, you know what? Uh, come on over to my house. We're going to clean you up. We're going to get you fixed up. And... Uh, and then Paul fed them, gave them the word of God. They all got baptized, saved, and, and just God was moving. And that was, the, that was the strongest move of God he had seen outside of the demon being cast out, which caused problems. <laughs> this is the strongest move of God that he's seen. An earthquake came and did all this. Now, you may have been questioning, should we really be here? But if you had an earthquake that shakes off your chains, opens up the doors... The prison, the prison guard comes in, drops down at your feet, says, what must I do to be saved? How many are thinking, I guess God is working here. <laughs> Something is going on. This is all right. I made a note in here that now the keeper of the prison wakes up. Understand this. This, this keeper of the prison was supposed to watch them, but he's apparently accustomed to sleeping. And he can sleep through prisoners howling and wailing and complaining about their pain, about their imprisonment, all this stuff. He can sleep right through it. He could sleep through Paul and Silas singing and praying. But this earthquake woke him up. So it had to be a pretty good one. 
And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers saying, let these men go. Well, as far as I can tell, they're at his house. I haven't seen them go back to the prison yet. Maybe they did. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. So if they're still at his house, they are gone. <laughs> but if, they, if he took them back to the prison, then, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe he did. The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. He's probably thinking, this is great. Paul, you got released, man. It's super. You can go. And, but Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. That would seem to indicate that they're at back at the prison. But um, Again, we're probably assuming that. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Well, they ought to. You'll bring the whole emperor of Rome down. You do something like that to their citizens. They do not like it. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. They're asking, please go away from our city. They're not, they're not happy about this at all. So they don't want to go out secretly. So they came. Paul says, no, you haven't come over here. You haven't come over here to where we are, and you haven't come down. And they tell us themselves that they want us to leave. And they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. So he says, all right, we'll go, but you guys are going to walk us out. But they're not making a direct line out of the city. They're first off stopping over at Lydia's house. When Paul stops over at Lydia's house on his way out of the city, who's with him? All the magistrates of the city. All of the leaders of the city are now outside of Lydia's house waiting for Paul to go in and say goodbye to Lydia. That puts the magistrate's stamp of approval on Lydia and what she's doing. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So what he did was he went around to Lydia and he went around to all the brethren, everyone who got born again in the meeting so far. He went to every single one of them. And everywhere he's going, where's he bringing? The magistrates are coming with them. They're following. They don't like this. They don't want to, but they have to because they don't want Rome to come down on them. So what Paul has done is simply this. He took the beating for the church so that when he would leave, the church would not receive one. He took the beating for them. And so from here on out, it's hands off the church. You let Lydia and those folks do whatever they want to. You do not touch them. You let them go. If they want to meet wherever you're meeting, you're not meeting there anymore. We do not want to get Paul upset. These are Paul's friends. We do not want to hinder them. We don't want to hurt them. They are Paul's friends, and we want Paul happy with us. So wherever they want to meet, they meet. Whatever they want to do, they do. You just leave them alone. And they had a pass in the city. Because what Paul is doing, he's telling the magistrates, these people are important to me. How you take care of them, I'll hear about it. And Paul leaves. When Paul leaves this city, very few people are born again. But we have a letter to the church of Philippi called Philippians. How do we have an entire church there? Because Paul gave them the opportunity to grow a church. He took the beating for them. He was beaten. He and Silas were both beaten, put into the prison. And they came out. And they could have at any time said, we are Romans. You are not going to do this. Paul the whole time says, no, no, they never asked us. We don't have to tell them. We'll wait until tomorrow. 
and then they'll be in a heap of trouble. So they did. And the church of Philippi was given the greatest opportunity to grow because of what Paul did. Not only the message that he preached, but also this opportunity here. And he was there for a little while, a number of days, teaching these folks, giving them some things on the Word of God so that they could build the church from there. They apparently did a good job. Lydia, those associated with her, had a lot to do with it. Put this in your outline for you. We need to learn how to go where God says go to and stay where God says stay in. A lot of times we're not going where God says to go because I don't like that place over there. I don't like that. I don't want to go to that store. I don't want to go to that place over there. I don't want to do that thing. But we need to go sometimes when God says, hey, I need you to go into that place over there. And, you know, if God calls me and I'm driving on down the road and he says, Steve, go into that Walmart. Well, I got to listen. You know, just, I know there's weird people in Walmart. At least all the ones I've been into, they have some real weird people in them. And it's uh, maybe not a place I always like to go. Like the store. The store's all nice and all that. But anyway, what is God telling you? God tells you to go in there and minister to them, would you do it? You need to listen to what God is saying to do. Because if God says go in there and do something, he's got a purpose for it. If God says don't go in there, he's got a purpose for that too. We need to listen. Don't know what the purpose was for him not being able to go in those other two areas. We're not told what it was. We'll find out, I guess, some other time. But he sure did a number of work here over in the church of Philippi. And as you can see from the purple line... We still have more places to go. This is a longer of a this is a long missionary journey. First, certainly a whole lot longer than the first one. But we'll keep that map up there and bring that map back on. The purple line is him going out. The red line is him coming back. That's where you'll see that he's uh, he is going to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us, that we can follow your direction and go in the places that you tell us to go. There are some times you may tell us don't go into that place. And we need to listen. Thank you for the help that you give us on that. That you have called us. You have purposed for us what we are to do. And Father, we will listen. We will go in the direction and the place that you say to do. Thank you for the help that you give us in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.